Listen to Job speak. He says, my days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. God bless the teaching of your word today in Jesus' name. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. I was uh, absolutely stunned and shocked and deeply saddened a number of years ago, I think it was probably 2012, when I learned along with the rest of the world that Pastor Rick Warren, who's a mega pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California, that his son, Matthew, who's 27 years old, had committed suicide. And when Rick Warren shares uh, this incredibly painful and difficult uh, story of suffering in his life, which came out of a context of suffering, he points out that that particular Easter, Saddleback had attracted the largest crowd ever. They had 55,000 people to show up for Easter at Saddleback. And in his sermon for that day, which he preached multiple times, he talked about how the more of his family members and people that he, that he loves, the more of them that end up in heaven, the closer heaven feels to him. And he talked about his mom that was there, his dad and his brother. And Rick says that he had no idea that five days later, his son would take his life and would end up in heaven. Now, I share this story really for two reasons. I'm backing into this text which we just read. The first is I, I want to highlight and spotlight suicide in the life of the church. Rick Warren and Kay, his wife, have spent the last several years traveling the country and the world trying to help other family members who have suffered and been victimized by suicide to shake off the shame and the stigma uh, and the false guilt that is often attached when we have a loved one that has committed suicide. And if Rick Warren was here today, or if his wife was here today, they would say to those of you who have been victimized by suicide, you've lost somebody that you loved that way, they would say to you as people who've gone through it, I don't care what you think, it's not your Why don't you say it with me? Say, it's not your fault. Why don't you say it with, you, with me? It's not my fault. 
The second thing that I want to dispel today is that so often people have said, well, suicide is the unforgivable sin. Let me just make it clear. There's no scripture. Can you shout no scripture? No scripture in Bible that says that. That's just absolutely crazy. The fact of the matter is, nobody takes their lives out of wickedness. Anyone who is so overwhelmed that they will take their life has been overwhelmed by mental illness. And while suicide has spoken, here's what I'm completely convinced of. God's grace and God's mercy will always have the last word. I'm convinced of that. So I want to point that out. Now, we get here because you cannot read the book of Job without dealing with the fact that Job is deeply depressed. And that Job, throughout the book, starting in chapter 3, contemplates and talks about death in a variety of ways. So, so I just want to deal with that today, if you will. And it's captured right here in this passage that I Selected As Job says, my days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. It's Job talking about his depression. In chapter 6, first verses 2 to 3, he puts it this way, and, and, and let me, as I, as I frame it, let me say that, that when we talk about depression in this way, I like to describe it in two different ways. One way to describe it is that uh, depression can be the result of our suffering. Say it with me. Say, depression can be... The result of my suffering. This is what's going on for Job. As uh, uh, Job, you know, Pastor Rick Warren lost one son. Job lost 10 kids. Surely he had a reason to be depressed, right? Pastor Rick Warren still retained his wealth from the millions of dollars he made selling purpose-driven life. Job lost all of his wealth. Pastor Rick Warren is still healthy and able to preach and live with vigor. Job lost his health. Surely he had a reason to be depressed, which was brought on by his suffering. Here's how he describes it in chapter 6. Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Job says, if I could take all of my anguish, if I could take all of my misery and pile it up on a scale, i put it on one side of the scale, and then if I could take all of the sands of the world, all of the sands from all of the seas in the world, and pile it up on the other scale, my misery would far outweigh those sands. Can somebody shout burden down? That's what depression does. It brings us down. So we're uncomfortable with depression. We don't often 
talk about it. But the fact is, 15 million people every day struggles with depression. And most of us who deal with depression, and let me just tell you, life will give you a variety of reasons to deal with depression. Listen, I get depressed just watching the news. Matter of fact, I said last week, I'm not watching the news. This is messing me up. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, most times when we're dealing with depression, we feel like we're by ourselves. But every day, 15 million people are dealing on one level or another with depression. So just tell the person next to you, just pick somebody next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself so you're not talking to a stranger. Just tell them, hello, my name is. And, and just say, just say uh, if you're depressed, no, no, y'all not talking. Come on, talk to each other. Talk to each other. Talk to y'all back there too. Come on, talk to each other. Just say, excuse me, if you're depressed, you're not by yourself. I've been there. All right, find somebody else, find somebody else, find somebody else. Say, hey, if you're depressed, you're not by yourself. I'm right there with you. All right, ooh, here's what we're going to all say together. Repeat, on, 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 at the count of three, we're going to all shout it out, because I want us to get comfortable with this. We're going to all shout it out, I am depressed. Okay, at the count of three. Here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Don't you just feel better? <laughs> We're going to get there, I promise. <laughs> uh, in case y'all didn't hear that, one lady say, not yet. I don't feel better yet. <laughs> the first step is to acknowledge it. Own it, not try to hide it, pretend like it doesn't exist. My daughter from time to time would tell me uh, that, uh, <laughs> that the Nile is not just a river in Africa. And I remind her, girl, I'm your daddy, be careful. <laughs> Everybody shout, how? How, how, how? how might you discover, discern whether or not you're depressed or not? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Remember, Job is saying, my days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires, all my dreams are shattered. How might you know? Well, here's some things to think about. Number one, if you've experienced a sudden shift in your in your sleeping pattern and all of a sudden you're sleeping more than you normally sleep and it's hard for you to get out of bed and you just kind of want to just just miss work you just kind of want to just stay there or the reverse you're sleeping less and less and less and maybe you're sleeping one or two hours a, a, a night you could be depressed or you've experienced a shift in your eating in your in your eating pattern and you're eating more and more and more, more than the norm. Just eating everything. Or the reverse, you're eating less and less. You barely eat. Maybe you are depressed. 
Or you've lost interest in recreational stuff that you typically like to do, playing tennis, basketball, watching certain TV shows, playing card games, etc. And all of a sudden you have no interest for that at all. There's nothing that moves you. Potentially you're depressed or you're now disconnected. You're moving into isolation. You, you, you have no emotional connection. Or if you're married, no, you have no interest sexually in your partner. Whatever the case might be, yet you're emotionally disconnected. You could be depressed. Or you just feel numb all the time. Numbness really means you don't feel, right? I can't, you just... It's just like you just exist. Right? You always, and you're thinking about death more. And you're always beating yourself up and talking about how horrible you are and, 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 and basking yourself. Or maybe you just feel like you're lost in a dark hole with no windows, no way to climb out. Your body aches for no particular reason. Just your arm is hurting today, your leg is hurting tomorrow, your head is hurting. Just, 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 you know, because depression comes out physically. Or maybe you're known for really dressing up and, you know, you're, you're the guy, man. You're always wearing your cologne, your stuff is all matching, your lady, man. Your hair is always, you know, in just where it ought to be. But for the last week or two or the last month, you're just like, I'll just wear anything. And no, I'm not calling. I did I not call my hair today. You could be functionally means you're functioning, but you're depressed. Maybe. So depression can be the result of your suffering. You're in the middle of a horrible relationship. You're suffering. You just got bad news about disease that you're struggling with or you've lost a particular loved one. You're, 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 you're suffering, right? That it, it, it can produce. It's natural that we would be depressed. But this is also true. This is the other expression of depression. While it is true that depression can be the result of suffering, it is also true that depression can be the source of suffering. Why don't you say this with me? Say, depression can be the source of my suffering. This was Rick Warren's son's situation. This was Matthew's situation. From a little boy, he had struggled with depression. He was raised in an upper-middle-class home. He never wanted for anything materially. He was a really good student in school. He uh, was, was known for his love for Jesus and his love for people. He was always surrounded by loving and supported, supportive family, always surrounded by loving, supportive family. But throughout his Years, particularly his teenager years and his young adult years, it was not his external environment that made him depressed. It was what was going on inside of him that made him depressed. And, and what we've learned is that oftentimes depression feels 
spiritual or it feels emotional. But when it becomes kind of chronic and long-standing, that more often than not, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's physiological. Chemicals are, get off balanced in our brains and, and there are other physiological sources that will drive deep, dark depression. And so, how, how, how do we deal with it? Well, we say to people, uh, those who will follow Jesus in particular, we say, well, if you find yourself depressed, you say, well, you need to increase your prayer life. And God knows that is true. You should wrestle with depression and whatever the source is in your prayer. That's, that's right. But sometimes you need more. And we say to people, well, you need to internalize and learn scripture. And I, I'm a big advocate of this. And in the morning and throughout the day, you need to remind yourself of the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. And so you remind yourself that, <clears throat> that you are precious and loved in his sight. You remind yourself that he knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future with a hope. You remind yourself that uh, he has loved you with an everlasting love. Remind yourself that you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. I, I'm an advocate of that. You just, you need to remember who you are in Jesus. You need to be able to kind of speak to yourself. But sometimes you need more. And there are those who will tell us, and I'm an advocate of this. And if you're part of a big church, I just join a small group and be honest in that group about whatever your suffering is that deepens the intimacy you share, they share, and God can work in that. And, that, and I'm a big advocate of that. But sometimes you need more. Sometimes you need a physician or a therapist because it's physiological Sometimes, it could be physiological, sometimes you need medicine. And that's not anything to be ashamed of. You see, listen, James 1, uh, 17 says, all good, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and that it's not just the suns and the, and the moon and the stars and the flowers, but that also includes doctors and therapists and medicine. Now, just like most of y'all, I don't like me I'm married to a doctor. I don't like medicine. <laughs> and you've heard me share before that a number of years ago when I found out I had high blood pressure, I went to the doctor and the doctor said to me, uh, you know, your, your, your great-grandparents had it, your grandparents had it, your mama had it, you got it, it's in your family. Let me put you on some medication. Oh, no, 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 don't put me on no medication. I'm going to go home and pray. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I got deep faith. I know God. Come on now. And God can handle my high blood pressure. I don't need you. So I went on home and prayed. He said, all right, I want you to come back in two months. And we'll check your blood pressure. Yes, sir. And I went home and I prayed and I fasted and did all that stuff. And then I came back two months. He checked my blood pressure. He said, bye. He says, your blood pressure is higher now than it was before. <laughs> he said, so I'm going to go. I said, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no. I obviously didn't pray hard enough. I obviously didn't believe hard enough. So 
let me just give me another month. Give me another month. He said, all right. So I went home, man. I was talking to God. I said, look, man, you open the Red Sea. Come on. You pull the three Hebrew boys out of the fire. I mean, I know you can handle my high blood. How come you're not answering me? And uh, this is just, I heard the Lord whisper, I did. I said, what, 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 you, what, what was the answer? He said, it's an appeal. <laughs> so I went and took my medicine, y'all, and voila, miraculously, my blood pressure is fine. <laughs> Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. That includes medicine. Take your medicine. Part of God's miraculous power made accessible. So, all right, we've got that established. That's kind of the breadth, the range of depression. Let me, let me take a turn now. How do we use our spiritual resources to help us to navigate those seasons when we are saying exactly what Job has said, my days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desire, dreams, are all shattered. If you're looking at this text uh, or you're taking notes, I want you to circle or just write really big this, this part of the passage that it says, because this is the center of it, my hopes have disappeared. Now, I want to point out that just because your hopes have disappeared does not mean that your hope is gone. It just means you can't see it because of the darkness that depression surrounds you with. So how, how, how do I do it? Well, 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 everybody shout how. All right. I love the questions. Here it is. The first thing, the first insight we have to get is built into every season of suffering is an elongated season of waiting. Can you say waiting? It's waiting, 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 waiting. Nothing exposes our sense of powerlessness like having to wait in a season of suffering. That's why the Bible is replete with scriptures that declare, like Psalms 27, uh, 14 declares, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, wait. But the problem is, it's antithetical to the mindset of our culture. Waiting is hard enough, period. It was hard in Job's day. It's super hard now, y'all, because the culture is all about fast. Come on, fast lane, fast pace, faster internet, fast, more instantaneous information through my smartphone. Come on now, uh, instant soup, instant oatmeal, instant grits. Instant tea, come on, instant coffee. I mean, I mean, fast, fast, instant, right now. Shout right now. Right now. My wife went to Costco's the other day because I like oatmeal. And, and, and I like all 
nuts and raisins in it. And she helps put it together for me. And she went to Costco's and she came back home. She said, baby, I bought you something. It was a big old box. And in the box, these little packages. And, and it had oatmeal in it with raisins and berries and all that. She said, baby, all you have to do is open it, pour it in a bowl, and put some hot water on it. <laughs> it's all right. But isn't that what we want with our problems? Isn't that what we want when we are going through sickness and trouble and struggle? Wouldn't it be great if all we had to do was just open up our lives and just pour some hot water and it evaporate? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's not how it works. It's part of how God creates character in us as we find ourselves waiting. All right, so if I'm going to deal with this waiting, how do I do it? Well, I'll go back to Hebrews. Those of you who were with us several weeks ago, you know, we looked at Hebrews chapter 12, and it, it, it really, chapter 11 is all these great heroic stories. Then chapter 12 opens up verse 1 with these words, now that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So uh, uh, part of what I need to do to navigate long seasons of waiting and suffering is that I I need, to, I need to remember the witnesses behind me. And when I remember the witnesses behind me, and part of that is the, the witness of the biblical text, I remember, watch this, that miracles take time. Say it with me. Say miracles, miracles. Take, time. take time. Now, that's not how we read the biblical text. When we read the biblical text, we bring our 21st century imagination to the text. And we usually don't realize that when we see the miracle, we've just gotten there a little bit too late. For example, we think about the creation of the world. Chapter 1, seven days God created the world. But, but we, we need to just realize that with God, one day is like billions of years. Oh, we get to Abraham and his son Isaac. The, the birth of promise has come. Come on now. He's 100 years old. Sarah's 95. First, now look, that's a pretty long time already. Come on now. And then it took 25 years of waiting. Oh, we get to the Red Sea. It opens up. We say, wow, what a great miracle. But we forget it took 400 plus years of Israel being in slavery before they got there. Or we see Joseph, you know, second in command in Egypt. But we forget that the journey from the prison to the state house was a 27-year journey. Or we read the New Testament and we see a, a man at a pool. And God says, Jesus said, you want to be made whole. And, 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 and he gets up and he walks away. And we say, wow, what a miracle. But we forget he was at the two pool for 38 years. Oh, we see a woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment and her issue dry up. God knows we got some issues that need to dry up, y'all. But, but it took that woman 12 years before she got there. Miracles take time. So tell the person next to you, just say, wait. You are probably in the middle of an unfolding miracle. Tell them. And miracles take time. So, 
I've got to pay attention to the witnesses of scripture that's behind me. They help me to see the hope that has disappeared. But I also have to pay attention to what God has already done in my life. Tell the person next to you, don't forget what God has already done. Tell them, don't forget. Listen, Pastor Rick Warren, he was interviewed on CNN about the, about the suicide of his son. And he was asked this question, did you ever lose faith? Did you ever assume that God didn't exist? Pastor Rick Warren gave an honest answer. He said, I never, ever stopped believing that God existed. He said, but I did doubt God's wisdom. And the truth be told, that's where a lot of us are. It's not that we don't believe that God exists. It is that we doubt. When we look at some of the things that God has permitted, we doubt. When we look at some of the stuff that we're going through, we doubt God's wisdom. Translation, we believe in God, we just don't think we can trust him. No, I, I, I get that easy. I, I, I've been there, y'all. I'm just, I'm right there with Rick. I'm right there with some of y'all. I've, I've been down that road. When, when me and my wife lost our first son at birth, perfect pregnancy, getting ready to deliver the child. The child dies before we can deliver the child. And I had to start, I was, I was a young preacher, and, and I preached for a year, doubting the wisdom of God. I, I, for a year, I, I, I was wrestling with God, and I said, God, you know, I was just like Job. If you read through the chapters of Job, you know, a, a couple times Job said, God, you, you made me look like a fool. And I said to God, God, you know, you made me look like a fool. I'm, I'm laying my hand on my wife's belly, praying for him, speaking God's word into the life of this child. And then at the very end, it's going to go well, and you're going to take the child at the end. I said, God, I can't trust you. One, 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 one time after wrestling for months, for months, shout months. Well, there's no instant here. There's no instant. But being honest with God, wrestling with him, when I got, God just kind of spoke into my life. And, and it's, it's, it kind of went like this. You don't trust me. You, you don't trust me, God says. No, I don't trust you. You don't trust me? No. Well, God said, wasn't I the one when you were six months old lying on the gurney in the hospital and your heart stopped beating? Who do you think made your heart stop beating, start beating again? It was you. And, and, and what about when your mother was about to put you in an orphanage home? Uh, 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 wasn't it I who raised up a house for you in Louisiana, opened up a family and made a way out of no way? Yes. And what about when you were in special education, you were a special need kid, and wasn't it I who raised up a teacher who said, yes, his special needs are great, but his potential is greater? And wasn't it I who took you from special ed to teaching at Harvard Divinity School? Was that not me? Yes. Well, was not it me who, when you said nobody will ever love me, come on now, my, 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 my days are, are over, my, my, my hopes have disappeared, my, my heart's desires are, are, are broken, wasn't it me? who reached into San Francisco, raised up a woman, brought her to, California, to, to Gramlin State University in Louisiana and turned your life right side up. Was that not me? Yes. Well, let me ask you, boy. Come on now. Uh, Herman, talk to me. If, 
If you're going to trust me in all my yeses, how come you can't trust me in my noes? What do you mean you don't trust me? I heard one theologian put it like this. If you and I knew everything that God knows, we would make the same decisions that God makes. But we don't. So we're called to trust God in the nose. Just like we celebrate God in the yeses. Tell, so here's, here's what you do. I want you to make a pre-depression list. I want you to make a list before you get depressed. Because I promise you, you will get depressed. But, 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 but some folk call it a gratitude list. That when you get home, I want you to take some time and just start writing out all the different ways that God's miraculous power, that God's miraculous love has been at work in your life from childhood to today. The ways that he delivered and rescued and blessed and elevated you. And just put it, you, you, you fill up some pages if you're honest about it. Come on. And then the next time that you're in a dark place, Pull out your gratitude list and remember that God is still God. It'll help you see the hope that you do not currently see. And then thirdly, and I'm moving into my, my this, 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 stay with me. I got this, this is one more point after this. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Check the witnesses, the biblical stories, the stories of what God has done in your own life. Check the witnesses behind you. Fix your eyes on Jesus ahead of you. The text says, fix your eyes on Jesus who endured the cross. Come on now. Despising his shame. Uh, and ultimately, he now sits on the right hand of the Father. Come on now. It says, remember him so that you will not grow weary. Well, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. The next time you realize that you're in a dark hole and it looks like your, your, your hope has totally disappeared, just remember that if it's true, that Jesus died on the cross, and it is. And if it's true that he got up from the dead, and it is. And if it's true that he's got all authority of heaven and earth in his hand, and it is. And if it's true that he is your Lord and your Savior and your eternal friend, and he's with you, come on now, then it is also true that weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. You just have to live through the night. And sometimes the night can stretch across months, but you got to live through. Tell the person next to you, live through the night. All right. Now, if I was in a Baptist church, and I'm not, this next point I'm about to make would be my shouting moment. Because when, I, when God showed me this point here at home at 4 o'clock in the morning, I start shouting all over my kitchen. But I'm not going to do that here because we got miscompany. 
<laughs> the versity, but let me just walk through. <laughs> Come on, shout. What a great thought. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here it is. And, and, and there's something that happens in Job. The scholars can't quite explain it. He's, he's in a dark hole for chapters. And then in chapter 19, right in the middle, without real explanation, he makes a turn. And the first thing he writes is in verse 23 and 24. And this, 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 is where, this, was, this really got me. Look at it, verse 23 and 24. He says, oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument. Carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead. Engraved forever uh, in the rock. If, if only uh, there was some way, technologically, this is long before I, the time, that we could just record what I'm saying now so that generations from now, that they could be blessed by this experience. They could, in a sense, prove or disprove the reality of what I'm arguing. If only I could, I could, I could, I could engrave it in, in a monument. Well, listen, listen, he didn't know. But 3,000 years later, we're reading these words. So in other words, God saw to it that it got engraved. Come on now. Now, now, now here's my shout. I'm not going to shout, but here's what makes me happy. Listen, some of y'all in your dark places feel like you're all by yourself. Feel like nobody sees you when you cry. Nobody sees you when you love. Nobody sees you when you do acts of righteousness. Nobody really cares. Come on now. When you do uh, uh, acts of kindness for God. But God wants you to know today, he sees you. Come on now. And he's writing it down. He's got a record of it, y'all. And at the end of the day, you're not performing for your boss or your spouse or your child. You're living faithfully for God. And he says, I have the record. The angels can read it. Come on now. God says, I'll read it and be inspired. Isn't that good news? Oh, boy. God says, I see it. See it. For all time. Now, that didn't make you excited. That's all right. I got two more verses. Come on now. <laughs> go, 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 go to verse 26, 27. Now, here's what they can't explain because Job is in the middle. He, it's 20 more chapters before he can get to chapter 42 where everything turns around. They, they don't understand. How, how, how does Job make a turn? And, 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 and here he is. He says, he says, he says, he said, maybe it was a hymn he heard. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just, as Rick Warren says, he doesn't, at the end of the day, he doesn't need, it's not answers that's going to bring comfort. It's the presence of God that's going to bring comfort. Come on. And, and, and so maybe God showed up in the room. I don't know. But here's the point I'm trying to get you to see. Listen, listen, listen. In order to have hope when it looks like hope has disappeared, you've got to always know that God is in the dark with you. All right, here, here's, here's, what, here's, here's what the writer writes. Come on, come on, put it back up there, 25. Put it back up there. Here, here's what he says. He says, but as for me, come on, he's been crying. He's been depressed. He said, I don't have any hope. He says, everything has disappeared. But somewhere in there, he says, I wish we could take a record because as for me, shout as for me. Not you, pastor, not you, angel. Come on, come on, not you, Job. Job says, I'm talking about me right now. Come on now. The one who's lost 10 kids, the, the one who's lost his wealth. As for me. I know, shout, I know. 
that my Redeemer lives. He will stand upon the earth at last. Come on now. And after my body has decayed, he has no theology of resurrection. Where in the world is this coming from? Some revelation that popped into his soul after my body has decayed. Yet in my body, I will see God. Come on now. And then he says, I will see him for myself, y'all. Come on now. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes, and I'm overwhelmed by this thought. If you live through the night, you'll see God. When old man Gardner Taylor used to preach this great preacher, he would say, he translated it. He would say, what, what Jeremiah, what, uh, what Job was saying is, there's a God somewhere. He would say, he said, Job was saying, I looked in the north and the south, I couldn't find him. I looked in the broken pieces of my life, I couldn't find him. So at some point, I just stood back and made a faith statement that I don't know where you are, God, but I know you're somewhere. And I know you know my name. I know you see me. Come on now. And I know that you're in the dark with me. All right, last story. Oh, it was about 15 years ago. I had a member named Betty Holt, and she had a friend named Janet Kindred. And Janet had two girls. One was strung out on drugs, the other one, life has fallen apart. Janet was feeling like she was a failure. And she was really, in her own way, quoting Job, uh, my hope has disappeared. And so Betty said, Pastor, would you just give her a call? Janet didn't come to the church, but Betty knew her. And so she said, would you give him a call? And so I said, absolutely, got the number. And, 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 and a, a day or two later, I just felt moved by God. And I stopped what I was doing, and I picked the phone and called. Janet answered. And we talked, and tears flowed, and, 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 and she heard about the love of Jesus, the hope that's in God. And she came to church the next weekend. And when she came to church the next weekend, she said, Pastor, you don't know. But before you called, I was in the basement, and I had prepared to take my life in the dark. And then I said to God, if you're here, you need to show me. And in the next second, the phone rang, and you were on the other side. Y'all ain't listening here. Come on now. Come on now. And, and, and what Janet said is, I learned that day that I don't care how dark life becomes, God is in the dark with me. And, 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 and she came to God, and later on her daughter came to Jesus and became uh, set free of drugs, and she's living an amazing life. Her other daughter, the same way. Yes, God says, I'm with you in the dark. Just believe that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that makes all the difference. Give God a hand, praise. Amen.